Good morning, church. Man, here we are back into the journey that we have been on together uh, for quite some time in this extraordinary letter that um, Paul uh, is writing to the church in Philippi uh, in response to uh, the questions that have come his way from Philippi. So uh, for those of you that have been around for a while, you may remember, uh, or I will certainly remind you, and for those that have not been on the whole journey with us, this will be a good quick catch up. Um, the people of Philippi uh, who live in Northern Macedonia, which was a, a significantly Roman territory, uh, they had become a church and they lived in a city where the realities of their culture, the Roman culture, were extensively present because uh, Philippi was a city uh, on the Aegean Sea, a beautiful city, where the Roman Empire sent uh, those that had retired after an incredible military or political career that had served Rome super well. So if you served Rome really, really well, one of the gifts that was given to you uh, was the opportunity to go and live in Philippi uh, to get some free land and a free place and free from taxation and free from a number of things, and you would go and retire there. So it was a, a desirable zip code, I can tell you that, in the Roman Empire. And so the people that lived in Philippi that were not part of the church were incredibly loyal to Rome and to the philosophies and realities of Rome. And remember, uh, in the Roman Empire, uh, the leader of Rome, the emperor of Rome, was considered uh, someone that had divinity attached to them. So in terms of serving uh, a king or a god, if you served a king or a god that elevated themselves above the king or god of Rome, that was difficult to swallow for a Roman. Uh, they would have some uh, significant hostility toward that because their fear would be that your loyalty to this other god might diminish your loyalty to Rome. Now, if you belonged to the church and Jesus was your king, Certainly then it wasn't just subtle. It was clear that these people uh, had a loyalty to their king that actually demanded in some ways that they recognized that the emperor of Rome was nothing but a, a, a human. And certainly that the philosophies coming out of the kingdom of Rome or the kingdom of this earth were philosophies that they were to live differently from. So now you've got this collision in Philippi uh, with those who are part of the Roman Empire looking to the church and saying, you all need to, need to change the way you're thinking or living or you're going to experience a great deal of persecution from us. Uh, simultaneously, as we know from history and from the letters in scripture, moving throughout the, uh, the known empire, church to church to church, were the Judaizers or the religious Jewish people that had accepted Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, but demanded that any Gentile, a person that wasn't Jewish, would first become Jewish 
in order to have Jesus as their Messiah. So you, you can't be a Gentile and have Jesus as your Messiah. You gotta be a Jew first. And to be a Jew, you've gotta be circumcised, then you've gotta live by the righteousness of the law. So there was a component of what we call self-righteousness. You needed to live by the law, showing Jesus that you were worthy of having him as a Messiah. You with me so far? So if you're not worthy of having him as a Messiah, then he's going to be like, I ain't your Messiah. So first you prove yourself to me, then I will take you on as mine. And then you'll have a Messiah. So kind of an irony, isn't it? You prove yourself to Jesus with your self-righteousness, then you get saved. So your righteousness does save you insofar as it gets you the Messiah so he can save you. Sort of a bit weird, but it makes a lot of sense to the human brain because it allows us to feel good about ourselves doing stuff that proves something to someone, right? So there it is. So the, the people in Philippi are encountering both these realities and they are sending a word to Paul to say, hey, uh, we... We're sort of new to this whole thing of what it means to live out and follow Jesus in this cultural context. Could you help us out to understand how we live out our lives as people who follow Jesus? And for the people in Philippi that were part of the church, their heart was in every way in the right place. They're like, man, we really wanna do this. We really want to follow Jesus well. We're just a little uncertain of what it looks like, what we should or shouldn't do, how we should or shouldn't think. Because remember, they didn't have the luxury that we have of having this all put together for them so that they could study it in its totality. They just had bits and pieces of what had been taught to them by Paul and others who had traveled through town. So this is all going to them. I will say for our context today, uh, it is quite refreshing to me in many ways that I would hear about a people living 2,000 years ago in a utterly different context in an utterly different world with almost nothing recognizable whatsoever to our world and their problems were about exactly the same as ours. You know what I'm saying? Like there's something refreshing about that, that when you watch the video and it said, we live on a planet of death, it's a little complicated. We're like, yep, got it. It didn't become that over the last 2,000 years. You know, when we're like, oh my gosh, the world's plummeting into a terror. And I wish I could have lived back in the 1800s and died at 32 of a cold. <laughs> like we forget, right? That it's not that we have bigger problems than the generations before us. We have the same ones. They're just shaped slightly differently. But in the end, pretty much the same deal. I could have written a note to Paul about exactly the same as the Philippians. The only difference is we have this. So Paul might have written back a very short letter saying, did, did you read my other letters? And, and then I would have been like, well, oh, oh, you mean I should read this? And like, yes, you should probably do that, right? But the Philippians didn't have that luxury. So Paul writes to them. And in writing back to the Philippians, it's really beautiful what Paul kind of does in the letter. Uh, as a quick reminder, what does he do? He starts the letter out and he basically says this, love your heart. 
man, love what you guys want to do. And I, I'm thrilled that I get to partner with you in the gospel. Thrilled that you're my partner. So Paul just really starts out with like, man, everything you're asking, don't feel weird about it. Love why you're asking this. These are exactly the right questions to be asking. This is how we should live. God, how do we do this in this space? And then he's like, you know, you, you, you've heard I'm in prison. So you may be thinking to yourself, man, is Paul the right guy to write to us? Because is God with him? You know, because us humans, we do this all the time. If my circumstances aren't awesome, then maybe God's not with me. Because isn't it true that if God were with me, my circumstances would be awesome. And, and Paul's like, no, remember the planet part? Like we live on this planet where we are actually strangers in the land, hostile to the planet of death because we bring life into death and death wants nothing to do with life. This planet is still a place that you should expect uh, some struggle, not because God is like, I need to teach you stuff, so I'm going to make you suffer till you learn. That's not the point. It's that God has said, you are in the war zone on the mission field and no soldier in a war zone goes, I don't understand why it feels like a war zone. They're like, I got it. I want to go where? Home as quickly as possible, but I do know where I am. So for now, I understand my context. And, and all Paul's saying is, you understand the context, right? So Paul writes to them and says, I'm in prison. I know that. And you might be thinking, gosh, what's wrong? How come God hasn't opened the doors for you to go to Spain and preach the gospel? Actually, God in this prison is using my imprisonment in incredible ways to expand the gospel. So here's what Paul concludes, wherever you find yourself, regardless of whether it aligns with the plans you had for yourself, right there where you find yourself, you can participate in the gospel being expanded. Because God is expanding the gospel where? Everywhere. He's expanding his kingdom everywhere. So if you end up in prison or you end up free or you end up healthy or you end up sick or you end up in an awesome set of circumstances or a challenging set of circumstances, where does he expand his kingdom? Everywhere. And so Paul goes, love partnering with you while you're in Philippi. I'm in prison and the gospel's expanding in Philippi and the gospel's expanding in prison. And God is at work despite the hostility of this planet. And so Paul goes, man, what a, what a cool thing, because to live now isn't about my well-being, my freedom, my prosperity, my safety, my security. To live now is about Christ and Christ alone. And if I live in prosperity, it's about Christ. And if I live in poverty, it's about Christ. And if I'm free, it's about Christ. And if I'm in prison, it's about Christ. So where I am and what I ha have does no longer uh, have a bearing significantly on my contentment because wherever I find myself, he is enough. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is what he's saying in the very beginning. He's going to say it in clarity at the end of the letter. But right now he's kind of sitting the table for it. And then where does he move from there? He says, okay, if this whole thing is about Christ, how do we do it when we're in the middle of this planet? Because let's face it, let's just be honest. That all sounds wonderful and romantic and beautiful. I wake up in the morning. It's all about Jesus until I encounter another human. 
usually my spouse if I'm married, my roommate if I'm living with someone, or traffic if I'm not, right? And then I'm like, oh, well, Jesus out, hostility in. And so it is complicated, isn't it? It's hard because the reality is our circumstances produce anxiety. And the reality is that uh, the other humans produce hostility and we do too. And so, wow. And so he's like, how do we do it? And that's when he starts. Remember, he's like, man, let's look to our rabbi. Let's look to our king. Let's look to Jesus. He had an attitude. He lived a certain way. And he said, follow me. I'm not just going to do something for you. I'm going to show you the doing. I'm going to show you the way and you live like me. And then he's like, man, what did he do? And he reminds us that even though he could hold on to his prerogatives, his rights, he emptied himself of his rights for the sake of others, us. That's right. And so he's like, man, take what is yours and your prerogatives and your rights and empty yourself of those for the sake of Christ and his kingdom and his redemption toward others. Be like Jesus toward others. And he's like, okay, so we're going to do that. Follow Jesus. Look to his attitude. And then we run into the next, like, oh, that sounds awesome. But again, relatively complicated, quite hard because I encounter circumstances that beg questions about God's goodness and people that beg questions about how you could ever love a human and all those things happen all the time. So how do I do it? And he's like, okay, so uh, look to me, Paul, as I follow Christ and I'm going to send you Timothy. So look to Timothy as Timothy follows Christ. And I'm going to send you uh, Epaphras. Look to Epaphras as Epaphras follows Christ. So what was Paul saying to us? How do we follow Jesus well when Jesus often feels absent? We remind ourselves that Jesus is not absent. He resides in a body and his body that he resides in is where and who? Us and right here, right? Jesus is not absent. His spirit resides in his body and his body are the other followers of Jesus. So he's like, you want to follow Jesus, follow the people in which Jesus resides, if you will. Look to each other, look to each other. And as you all strive toward the same thing, then you can watch each other strive. So when you encounter circumstances or relational dynamics or uh, uh, resource challenges and your anxieties grow and your prerogatives rise and you start saying, this ain't the life I wanted. This is not what I deserve. You look to the others and they come to you and say, I get it. It's rough. It's hard. It's out. Of but here's the attitude of Christ. Here's the kingdom we now serve. Here's redemption. Help, let us help you follow him well. And we are to lean into each other when we are struggling so that we together turn each other's eyes and fix them on. That was definitely not a trick question. There was nothing tricky about that question. No like end of that question that would get weird. One name and one name alone ends that sentence. Fix our eyes on. Jesus. We help each other to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so he's like, man, you're going to need biblical community. Don't abandon this because when you're not in this and you're listening to all the other folk, 
you are going to forget the kingdom you are part of, the citizen that you belong to, uh, and you are going to begin to live in a way that does not match the attitude of Christ or the principles and philosophies of the kingdom of God. It's just going to happen. Okay. And then what does he say after that? He moves from there and he says, okay, so if we're going to do this, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We lean into each other. So we follow each other as we follow Jesus. And we make sure that we are always clear on the true gospel. Because the second the gospel we follow is a slightly false version of the actual, that's going to cause everything to get shaky. So do not buy into any version of the gospel except the true one, which means you got to stay fixed on the true one how many days of the week? All days of the week. You will forget the gospel as quickly as you can go to sleep and wake up. And so you better just keep fixing on, this is the true gospel. Not a prosperity, not a poverty, not a ridiculous grace, not a total freedom, not a weighty, just all the different versions, none of those. Man, true gospel, that's it, look to that. And then he moves from there and he says, you wanna be reminded of the true gospel? Here it is. It has a name and that name is Jesus, that's right. He is the gospel. He is everything. He did everything. He saved you. He keeps you. He preserves you. He is your eternity. He is your hope. He is your righteousness. He is your savior. He is your king. He is your everything. So at any point that you replace Jesus with anything you bring to the table, assume it part of a false gospel. Look what I, oh, done. So he's like, Jesus. So what you need to do is bend yourself every day into a space that you look to Jesus and go, I want nothing but you. Everything else except you, I consider rubbish. So then whatever I've looked to for security, looked to for safety, looked to for joy, looked to for well-being, looked to for Whatever it is I hope I have, I want to spend the rest of my life diverting, tearing my eyes and my heart from those things and fixing them on you. Because only when I am totally fixed on you will I be free from my contentment being affected by all the other stuff onto which I lean. And Paul's like, so man, Jesus is everything all the time. That's it. And then the very last part of Philippians we were in, see, it's all making sense now. Progression. It's a letter. He's just writing it. He goes, okay, so have we attained this wonderful place in which our eyes are fixed on Jesus and circumstances no longer have any bearing on us and the other humans are just irrelevant to our well-being and our resource challenges are like nothing to us and we can say whether in prison or free, wealthy or poor, sick or healthy, I have learned the secret of being content. Jesus is enough. Have we gotten there? And one of you raises your hand, I have, and I'll give you 47 seconds and that'll change. No, we haven't. So what does Paul say? So not that we have already attained this incredible thing, but what do we do? Do we say that since I have not attained it, oh, well, I guess it's impossible. No, 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 no. We press on 
toward that which we have already attained, which is our heavenly status and our clarity of who we now belong to and what kingdom we're a part of. When we forget day in and day out, we press on to remember. We press on to, to conform. We press on to follow. And when we fail, we gather together and we stir one another up toward pressing on. And Paul landed there. So let's press on. And in that particular paragraph, if you go read it again, you will notice that Paul doesn't speak in the we, he speaks in the I. He says, so I, I, forgetting what is behind, press on toward the goal that is heavenward. I strive to that I do this. So Paul is now saying, here's how I do it when I realize I haven't yet attained it. You with me so far? And that's where we ended. So we're all caught up. Now we jump into what Paul does next. And in many ways, this next paragraph of his letter, he now takes all of what I just covered. That's why I covered it all. And he goes, okay, so what is it then now that we then, in response to this letter we just read and all this clarity we now have, what is it then that we are to fix and focus on to say, okay, at the end of the day, here it is. And then the rest of the letter after this paragraph are the implications to this clarity. So let's go to the paragraph that we're gonna cover today. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. And we are in chapter three, and we're gonna be in verse 17. So Philippians chapter three, verse 17. And if you have your little notebooks that uh, you use, now's a good time to open them up because we're gonna be underlining and jotting. So here we go. Um, verse 17, it says, brothers, sisters, join in imitating me. So look at that sentence again in light of verses 12 through um, 16. What did he say there? So I press on. I move toward the goal. And then how did he end that paragraph? For those of you that don't think this is a good idea to live this way, don't worry, you're just immature. <laughs> I love the way you just, you just don't know yet, that's okay. As soon as you mature, then you'll realize this is the way to live. So look what he did. He said, we, we chase after the kingdom of God. We chase after Jesus. We fix our eyes on that. That's the way to live. It's the way I live. It's the way we should all live. And then he says, so, so people, Follow me as I follow Christ. It's just him again saying, how do we do this? How do we sustain this? We do it together. We look to each other because look, he actually says it. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he is lumping us together. He's saying you don't just look to Paul. So Paul is not saying look to Jesus and second look to Paul because Paul is like Jesus, but not quite. No, he's not saying that. He's saying look to Jesus. And when Jesus seems distant, then look to the other people that follow Jesus. Why? Because they are his body. That's what you look to. When you need to look to me and I'm somewhere else and you want to grab some coffee, what do you do? You text like, do you have time for coffee? And when we sit down face to face, there is an experience there that is unique. I'm suddenly like, okay, I'm with you. And so he's like, yeah, look, look to the others that are following in his way. Now Paul does something to kind of remind us because the question would be, okay, 
But Paul, when I'm looking to these other people that follow Jesus so that I can lean into them, whether it is that I'm leaning in because I'm in a place of joy or leaning in because I'm in a place of grief, leaning in because I'm in a place of, of circumstantial wonder or leaning in because I'm in circumstantial struggle, leaning in because my relationships are awesome or leaning in because my relationships are terrible and I want to kill the other humans. Like whatever it is I find myself, I want to lean into the people that are actually following Jesus. So can you give me some clarity on, on, on what that looks like? And he says this, sure. So here's the deal. Look to me and look to those walking according to the example you have in us. And what example is he talking about? Everything you just talked about in Philippians. That when you look to their life, what do you see them constantly striving after? that which is eternal, that which is the kingdom of God, that which is the life of Jesus. If you look to someone, you're like, it seems this person in all of their living daily, what they seem driven by constantly is trying to get out of the daily stuff. And when they talk, they talk like all that matters is what's to come in the kingdom. Look to those people, follow them and become like those people so others will follow you as you follow them as they follow Jesus. Okay, so then he says, that. so what do we not look to? For many, he says, of whom I have often told you, and now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So he gives us this beautiful context in which to recognize when somebody that's speaking to us or someone we're looking to might actually not be someone we should look to who is striving after Christ becoming their everything and that their mind and their eyes are fixed on Jesus and on things above. What they're going to do is they're going to talk, behave, and act like things here matter to our well-being to such an extent that we ought to obsess about them and be anxious about them. They are going to divert our energy back to our prerogatives and our rights. You got some rights. You got some prerogatives. You should hold on to them. I mean, that's our entire culture, isn't it? It's always saying you deserve to be. Oh gosh, you guys live in America? I mean, it's in, it's, it's in our actual like little thing, you know, like this is what it means to be an American. Everyone deserves to be happy, to pursue happiness. So that the world is always going to divert that way. And those who have their eyes set on the world are always going to divert that way. What's making you unhappy? What's, what's disrupting your well-being in your life? Change it. Get out of it. Move past it. Beg God to make it go away because it's no good. And isn't God's job and isn't your job to constantly get rid of the things, people, and realities that make you unhappy and move towards those that make you happy. Anytime we encounter stuff like that, here's what he says. Remember this. Remember this. The people you encounter that I have tears over because they don't have their eyes fixed on eternity are those when they talk and when they behave, you're going to watch their behavior. You're going to watch their talk. And in time, it will reveal itself as fixed on this planet. They are building and living as though a change on what happens here will actually be the core reality that makes them well. 
So he says, listen, these people, there's some things about them that you should know. Um, they, oh, here we go. Um, they are, uh, they are enemies of the cross insofar as whatever the gospel speaks and whatever is Christ, they are bringing other things in and saying, uh-uh, he's not enough. Uh-uh, his death is not enough. Eternity is not enough. He is here to make here and now safe and wonderful and perfect for you. This is not a war zone. You are not on mission. This is not gonna be hard. And if it is, something is wrong. They are always by very definition of the way they think, the culture, the world, the religious who are bringing self-righteousness, they are always diverting away from Jesus being everything and adding something. So who are we talking about here? So Paul does not specify here other than saying, I've talked about these folk a lot and now I'm talking with tears. So it could be that Paul is primarily talking about the Judaizers. I mean, when they bring self-righteousness in and religious stuff and you have to live a certain way to prove yourself to God so he will be your savior, have nothing to do with that. They are not about eternity or about Jesus. They are about themselves. But he also talks often about the Gentile world, the Gentile world that has not come to Jesus. And he says, what do they pursue? They pursue kingdoms of earth. They build for themselves kingdoms. Their security is in how much they have and who they're with and what their circumstances are. So human beings are bent on looking around and saying, what will it take for me to control my circumstances with enough resources, enough influence, enough power, enough fame that I can make my resources, whatever, I mean, my circumstances, whatever I want them to be. So to do that, I need a lot of resource and a lot of influence. So fame and fortune is a pursuit that is worthy on this planet because it gives us power to control circumstance, we think. And then when I have enough power by resource and influence, then I can control circumstance and I can control people. And if I can control people and I can control circumstance and I have enough that I will never want for anything, then I am safe. And so I can move people in and out of my life and no one can hurt me and I can change circumstances and nothing can hurt me and I'm secure and safe. That is the pursuit of every human before we come to the clarity of the gospel. And what he's saying here is every human that Jesus isn't everything, you will begin to experience, hear, and see some of that in them. Jesus, yes, helpful, good, got him here. But ultimately what I'm pursuing is right here. And he's like, don't follow that path. Why? Because that path, whether it is the path of self-righteousness, the religious, I prove to Jesus that I'm good enough for him to keep me. That path does not lead to Jesus or to eternity. It leads to destruction. So he's like, first of all, any gospel. So let me just be clear about this. Any gospel that is not only about Jesus and everything he does for us is a gospel that is false. And so a prosperity gospel is false. Uh, Jesus, because you have him, you will know how much he likes you by how much he gives you. If you're healthy and your bank account is full and you got tons of friends, he likes you a lot. And if you have very little of that, he likes you not a lot. And then you should come to the people he likes a lot and give them your money so that he will like you a lot so that he will give you money. Woo. 
I'm just saying we need to be awake. But a poverty gospel is equally as damaging. Man, anyone that drives a nice car can't be a Christian. Because look, they have stuff. Real Christians sell all their possessions and live suffering every day under the weight of this world to prove they're in a war zone. Look at me, I'm on mission and I'm poor. I am more spiritual than you. So we walk around a parking lot and we look at someone driving in their nice Audi and we're like, whatever, stupid Christian. They can't know the gospel because look, they bought an expensive car. And you forget to bother to ask them that God gave them a tremendous amount of resources. They gave millions away. And after much wrestle and prayer, they felt peace about buying that car, not in debt, but with cash while you're driving an old clunker that you bought in debt and you shouldn't even own. See, every time we encounter these stupid realities that we buy into because we have a false gospel belief, it moves us to a place where we do not accurately assess who's who because we don't bother to ask. So just because you have prosperity doesn't make you a non-gospel follower who's bought into prosperity. And just because you don't have doesn't mean God doesn't like you. Why? Because Paul already said, whether you are rich or you are poor, whether you're in prison or free, whether you're sick or healthy, what difference does that make? But to ask the question, how do I use the position you've put me in to advance the gospel? So any false gospel of any version of self-righteousness or any version of poverty or prosperity or a gospel that says, uh, like the Corinthians did, a man, grace is our way, so live it up, baby. False gospel or boy, Jesus saved you, but now you better behave. False gospel. And so it is important, Paul says, if we're gonna do this, that we know which gospel the real one, so well that when we encounter a false one that feels almost like the real one, we can go, hold on, time out, time out. Something about this gospel makes something else the telltale of whether you're blessed or not, whether you're spiritual or not, whether you're righteous or not. And if it's anything else but the fact that Jesus saved you, it's a what? False gospel. And so he's like, man, listen, these people, they come with their false gospels and their false gospels leads them where? To destruction. Their end is destruction because there's only one gospel that leads us to life. And that is the one that is Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus everything. So our life then becomes a pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom. So our resources belong to Jesus and our circumstances are his to determine and we use them for his glory and our relational dynamics, challenging or not, are to be evaluated as far as how they will best display the gospel and his kingdom. And our life becomes about Jesus. So he's like, okay, first of all, that's the gospel. Second of all, those who they are about their bellies. It's language in scripture that means they are building for themselves. They may be philanthropic, they may be wonderful, but at the end of the day, it's all about their kingdom. Those people... You will look to them at times and you will go, it's hard, isn't it? You at work and you being all honest and full of integrity. And then the, the, the lady or the person next to you, they are not that way. And they sell 10 times the houses you do, make a hundred times the money you do. And they advance in this world. And you think to yourself, I don't get it. 
I come to Jesus and I'm like, look, I will live your way in my workplace. And I'm assuming, because I forget that I read this thing, that if I live your way, that I will advance past all the schmucks that are lying. Listen, it doesn't work that way on this planet most of the time. On this planet, those who are willing to live by the philosophies and philosophies of this planet advance on this planet. The idea, folks, that if we live for Jesus, we will have the world is utterly false. In fact, he said when he was on the planet, if you follow me, good chance you don't have a pillow to rest your head on at night. Probably live in a hole. So solid possibility. But boy, you will struggle at times. Now, I'm with you, but remember, this is your war zone. It's not their war zone. They are here to get everything they can. So because they live to get everything they can, they will likely get much of what they're after. So he's just reminding us. Here it is. This is the big one. There's, listen, in case on occasion, you look to the others on the planet that are buying into this planet's philosophies and you're going, they seem to be doing quite well. I'm not doing so well. He goes, where? is their end if they don't encounter Jesus along the way? Destruction. So it's all good and fine on this little temporal life that we get all bent out of shape about what we don't have and what they do. But in the end, if we pursue anything but Jesus, when this planet's time is done, which is a breath according to scripture, then the rest of eternity, it is not a place where you're going to go, I'm so glad I followed this planet. Their end is destruction. But what about ours? But our citizenship, listen to this, but our citizenship is in heaven. It's already set. We don't belong here. So why are we still here? I've always thought to myself, I mean, come on, man. Like I come to know you, just take me. The second I come to know you, everything on this planet starts making no sense anymore. And then I'm constantly forgetting that you're mine and I start living like that. It's a, it's a big giant mess. Why don't you just take me? Because, I mean, come on. And then our first thing is, well, well, if he takes all of us, then no one will hear the gospel. That's not true because the Bible already said we're participants in this redemption thing, but it's not up to us. If we don't tell people, the rocks will. You know what I'm saying? So, so he's got that covered. So I'm like, why? And he's like, okay, time out. Remember the whole gospel? I saved you to have relationship with me, but I created you with the purpose of imaging me. And when we get to heaven, that's covered. You don't have to participate in that. But here on this planet, you have the opportunity to actually experience the beauty of your full redemption by being participants in redemption in a war zone. And don't worry, how long is this war zone going to be? Here it is. It's a breath. It's a breath. So while you're here, enjoy the privilege of living for my kingdom in a war zone. So when we get to my kingdom, we can all be like, man, boom. That's crazy. I blew it a couple times. Got it right a couple times. And Jesus was always faithful. When I was faithful, he was faithful. When I was unfaithful, he was faithful. And I worked along with my other folk that follow Jesus 
to bend every bit of my thinking and every bit of my energy toward Jesus and everything I'm doing for Jesus. And he says this, so man, our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? Didn't Jesus already come? Yes, he did, did the work. But what do we know the Bible says about Jesus? He left and we're on our own. No, he's what? It's coming back. And, and, and here's the deal. As I always tell people like, is it, is it the end times? Is this it? Are we, is it time? And I'm like, listen, here's the deal, man. Uh, it may be, it may not be about 2000 years. People have thought it was, then it wasn't. So we think it is. And at some point, some generation is going to be right. They're going to be like, I knew it. I'm like, well, yeah, whatever. It's like, you're saying it's definitely a boy. And then it's born a boy. And you're like, see, I told you. I'm like, you had a 50, 50 shot. So with the end time stuff, yes, we should look to it. Yes, we should pay attention. But at the end of the day, it might, might not be. But I promise you this, your end times are coming in less than 100 years. Because at some point, you don't live past 100, you die end times. So what, what Paul's saying is, listen, every one of us is entering eternity pretty soon. And when we do, we are absent from the body with Jesus. So we back. And then at some point he will come for the whole thing and we'll come with him going, ah, you guys were right, we were wrong. But it's time, he's coming back for all of us, but for every one of us, our time is a breath. We don't die and then hang around waiting in some nether zone until he returns sometime in the next few thousand years. Absent from the body, present with Jesus. So Paul's like, we await the moment that we see our savior face to face and enter eternity. It's coming, he's coming back. Who will, look at this, oh my gosh. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Where are we again? Jesus said, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that I am savior. We are held in security by the one who has the power through his death and resurrection to subject what to himself? All things. And our security is in him. So Paul says, so considering all that, you might, if you know Jesus, want to follow the way I love, Paul says, which is I haven't yet attained this complete sense of Jesus is enough, but that's what I'm after. And so anytime I find myself after something on this planet to get my either security or well-being, if I can just change this circumstance, if I can just get rid of this human, if I can just have this stuff, then I will be happy. I will be okay. I will be better. And any voice that's coming to you saying, yep, you're right. Just change that one thing and the world will be yours. You are in for a rude and terrible awakening. That every time you change anything, planet Earth still waits on the other side to throw something else at you. But if instead we say, I'm not going to divert my energy to changing these things, but I'm going to divert my energy to taking these things as they are and saying, what would it look like for me to enter these things as one who is living for a kingdom reality to show the world how the kingdom of God does these things? Then those things become utterly different to us. So Paul 
would write later on in the book of Colossians. Not later on. He already wrote the book of Colossians earlier than this. And what did he say in Colossians chapter 3? Man, so since we have now died in Christ and been raised in him, Colossians 3 uh, verse 1, let us set our minds on things above and not on earthly things and let us live our lives with that in mind. And then that little paragraph ends with this verse. So whatever you do in word or in deed, in action, do it in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean like, in Jesus' name, how are you? In Jesus' name, how was your day? It means that what I'm thinking about before I speak or before I act, the goal that I'm striving after is that before I speak or act, a little question for a split second emerges and says, I'm doing this for whose glory? Jesus's. For which kingdom? His. Because I'm a citizen of that kingdom. So how does that change what I'm going to say, what I'm going to think, or what I'm going to do? And our journey on life is to move ourselves to be that fixed and that focused. What would we look like as a people if our attitudes were the same as Christ in every moment and we leaned on each other to sustain it? I don't know because I've never seen it, but I'm up for the journey with whomever else is up for the journey to follow Christ. <clears throat> I've always said one day that when I leave this planet, <clears throat> I look forward to the opportunity to sit by a fireplace uh, in eternity with a couple of people. Uh, we'll have a lot of time, so I'm going to be at a lot of fireplaces. I, I imagine them like, you know, a campfire, because that's just kind of like where I love to chat. And um, I imagine myself someday sitting at a campfire and looking around and being like, hey, I'm Renault. And some guy's like, yeah, Paul. I'm like, like, Paul, when did you live? And he's like, oh, you know, 80, 50-ish. And I'll be like, like, Paul, Paul. Yeah, Paul, Paul. Hey. And then be like, hi, how are you? And she's like, Rahab? Rahab, nice to meet you. Any chance you're the Ray? Yup, am. And then Susie from 2019. Excellent. We were on the planet at the same time. What country are you in? America. Awesome. Me too. <clears throat> and then maybe Gideon, you know, and I'm sitting at that fireplace. And then we're like, so we got some time. Want to share some stories? And the stories start going. Man, like when I wake up in the morning, and I think about my relationships, my marriage, and my children that sometimes I love and sometimes I hate. It's just a fact. It's real. I'm not pretending. It is hard. And my circumstances, which sometimes are awesome and sometimes are not. And my resources, which are sometimes more than I need and sometimes less than I want. I hope at that fireplace that when we talk, that my story on how those things played in my life will not be something I'll have to try to pretend for the kingdom because I won't be able to because we're in heaven so you can't lie so it's going to come out the way it is and I hope as it comes out my mouth I'm not like oh shoot can I not share my story because <laughs> I mean you had like snake bites and like shipwrecks and like I abandoned everything for Jesus and Rahab you were like wow and then Gideon <laughs> that was incredible um, and then Susie you tie three percent so that's awesome sorry about that <clears throat> and then there's me like I I just, I just want a story then that isn't my legacy, that's his. So folks, Philippians is offering us the call to say, live for Jesus every day. And you won't always get it right. So look to each other to do it. Gather up regularly. Strive after the same thing. And let's go see the world change in our generation as his kingdom expands. Because we are about him and not about us.
And this is where Paul now leaves us to enter the last bit of Philippians to say, so here's how that shapes everything. But that's for another day. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your incredible love for us and the amazing ways in which you invite us, call us, propel us, empower us, drive us, move us into a life that is obsessed and inundated and permeated with you, where our eyes are fixed on you, our minds are set on things above, and all of our circumstances, relationships, and resources on this planet are now available opportunities by which we can show the world how God kingdom people live on this planet of death instead of being bent on our own prerogatives and our own rights and shaping our lives to try and get to a place where we feel better or we are better. God, we don't want to ignore hard things and pretend they're not hard. We don't want to do something about them. We just want to handle them in a way that demonstrates your kingdom and your way instead of our kingdom and our way. So help us to be together a lot, to lean on each other a lot as we watch each other follow you and help each of us to follow you well so that we are a help to the others and we are not in the category of regularly forgetting that our bellies and our well-being are not what we are about on this planet because you've already got those covered for us. Show us the way, Jesus, we pray. By your spirit, amen.